it is quite evident that the result was that the ill-fated Sadullah became the target of wrath and anger and became Abdad in every meaning attached to the word in the lexicons. He was frustrated and thwarted in his designs, which is one meaning of the term Abdad. And I have just written out this meaning. Secondly, this meaning also proved true in his case that in the end, he took up employment under Christian missionaries who are ever busy trying to malign the religion of Islam, and thus he opted for a life of humiliation and became deprived of the goodness and blessing which is the lot of anyone who honors Islam. This was the consequence of his dedicated opposition against truth out of sheer mischief and mundane motives. Therefore he suffered the regression that he did not accept the yoke of obedience to me, but accepted the yoke of obedience to the Christian missionaries. Thus, in this sense also he is adjudged to be Abdar. Furthermore, as I have already stated, he also became Abdar in the sense that, from the moment that God pronounced him, it is not you, but your slanderer who shall be issueless. Allah the Exalted put a seal on his wife's womb. This revelation was communicated to him in very clear words that from now until death no children will be born to your household, nor shall your lineal succession continue afterward. For a certainty he must have tried very hard to have children to falsify this revelation, but all these efforts were to no avail, and in the end he died in frustration with every meaning of Abdur, proven true about him. While on the other hand, he repeatedly supplicated against me that this man is an imposter, he shall perish, his progeny too will die and his jamaat will disintegrate. But the result of it was that three sons were born in my household after receiving this revelation. It is not you, but your slanderer who shall be issueless. And the membership of my jamaat increased to more than 300,000 and hundreds of thousands of rupees poured in and many Christians and Hindus became Muslims through my preaching. Is this not then a sign? Has this prophecy not been fulfilled? To allege that Sadullah's son is now engaged to Abdurrahim's daughter and will soon be married and that children will be born is wishful thinking and is just idle talk which is worth a laugh. Footnote start. This wish is quite like that of Abdul Haq Raznawi Amritsari when after the Mubahila spelling out its effect on his own person he had said my brother has died, I have married his widow. She is now pregnant and will give birth to a son, and it will be considered the effect of the mubahila. But the end result of that pregnancy was that nothing was born, and despite the passage of as many as 14 years, he continues to be condemned to lead a life of frustration and humiliation. In contrast, after the mubahila, I have been blessed with the birth of a number of sons, and hundreds of thousands of people have sworn allegiance to me, and hundreds of thousands of rupees have poured in, and my fame has reached the ends of the world with honor, and most of my enemies died after the mubahila, and thousands of heavenly signs were manifested at my hands. Footnote end. And the answer to this is also that the promises of God can never remain unfulfilled. This point should be made after marriage takes place and a child is born too. As of now, integrity demands that they should ponder seriously how this prophecy which Allah the Exalted manifested through me has been fulfilled in the same manner as the prophecy. Surely, it is your enemy who is without issue in Surah Al-Qasr chapter 108 verse 4 of the Holy Quran was fulfilled. As I have already stated 12 years ago, God revealed to me about him that it is not you, but your slanderer, who shall be issueless. And the door to the birth of children for Sadullah was closed after this revelation, 
and Allah the Exalted, smiting his face with his own curses, granted me three sons after this revelation, and caused tens of millions of people to hold me in great esteem. The financial victories I was bestowed both in cash and in kind and the variety of gifts that I received were so many that if I put together they would fill up a number of rooms. Sadullah desired that I should be abandoned and left alone with no one to keep me company. Hence Allah the Exalted frustrated him in his design and caused many hundreds of thousands of people to become associated with me. He desired that people should not help me but Allah the Exalted made him witness in his own lifetime how an entire world had turned to me to be of assistance to me. And Allah the Exalted helped me financially in such a manner as none else had been helped for hundreds of years. He had desired that I should remain deprived of every honor, but God caused thousands belonging to every echelon of society to submit to me with their heads bowed. He desired that I should die in his very lifetime, and that my children too should die. But Allah the Exalted caused him to die in my lifetime, and in the period from the day of this revelation, he bestowed upon me three more sons. Thus he died a death of frustration and disgrace. This indeed was what I had prophesied, and it was fulfilled by the grace of Allah the Exalted. And this prophecy in which I had written that he would die a death of frustration and disgrace during my lifetime has been described in the following Arabic verses, which form part of my book on Jamil al-Tham. Footnote start. As I have already written, these few verses were written with a clear conscience when the ill-fated Sadullah's use of abusive language had exceeded all bounds. Footnote end. From among the sinners I perceive one who is rebellious, a devil condemned, and the spawn of fools. He is evil-tongued, evil-minded, a mischief-monger, and a glib liar, and a cursed one whom the ignorant have named Saad. O ye who invokes God's curse upon me, beware, God is watching you. Fear the wrath of God, who is my all-powerful master. I see that you walk with conceit and arrogance. Do you not fear the day when you will die by the plague that wounds? Be not the unfortunate victim of your selfish desires. Your self-admiration will drop you down a dark pit. Your ego is a wicked horse. Fear the height of this horse's back. Fear lest its wild gallop thrust you down upon the earth. Poisons are the worst of all that exists in the world, and the enmity of the virtuous is worse than all poisons. By your wickedness you have caused me great pain. I would not be the truthful one if you do not die in disgrace. God will not only disgrace you, he will disgrace you along with your followers, yet he shall bestow honor upon me, so much so that people will come into submission under my flag. Our Lord, settle this affair between me and Sadullah, that is, cause the liar to die in the presence of the truthful one. O yea, all-seeing one, who sees my heart and sees what is concealed within me. O my God, I see the doors to your grace ever open for those who pray. Therefore accept my prayer regarding Sadullah and do not reject it. That is, make him die the death of disgrace in my own lifetime. Footnote start, the death of Sadullah is not one sign but three. One, my prophecy regarding his death. Two, falsity of his prophecy about my death by way of the Mubahila. He had prophesied that I would die in his lifetime. Three, acceptance of my prayer regarding his death. Footnote end. I have provided a translation of all these couplets below each couplet. 
the reading of which will clarify that I had engaged in a Bobahila prayer duel through them with Saadullah, and just as he had sought my death during his own lifetime by way of the Mubahila in his book, Shahabe Saqib, The Piercing Flame, so did I, challenging him, seek for my God, the death of whichever one of us two is the liar, within the lifetime of the one who is truthful. This is why in the eighth couplet given above, I have said that, O Sadullah, you have given me immense pain, thus if you did not die a shameful death, that is, if in accordance with the aforesaid Umubahila, you failed to die a death marked by frustration during my own lifetime, I would be proven to be a liar. And in the fourth couplet, it also has been indicated clearly that Sadullah would die of the mnemonic plague. The term Ta'na indicates the term Ta'un, that is plague, and Najla in our Arabic means a vast wound. And this indeed is exactly what happens in the case of mnemonic plague. The lung becomes sore and bursts, resulting in a vast lesion. Even more remarkable is the fact that this prophecy was made when there was no trace of the plague in this country. This is indeed an example of the utmost depth and profundity of the knowledge of the omnipotent and omniscient God, that he intimated the very nature of Sadullah's death at a time when this entire country was free from the plague. The prophecy of God Almighty contained in the foregoing poetic verses indicated that Sadullah would die in disgrace and humiliation in my very lifetime. The prophecy was fulfilled in its entirety and the pneumonic plague did away with him completely in a few hours and he passed away from this world in the very first week of January 1907. But here the question naturally arises as to why such a prophecy was made and why patience was not exercised in the face of such abuse. The answer is that Sadullah had published his prophecy about my death and about the apostasy and disintegration of my jamaat four years before this prophecy in his book Shahab i Taqib. In this book he had written categorically that this man is a liar and an imposter and therefore he would die an ignominious death and this jamaat would disintegrate and scatter. He had employed the most abusive language in conveying this news. Therefore, Allah the Exalted, whose indignation is aroused when the honor of the truthful is threatened, caused his prophecy to recoil upon him. The ill-fated Sadullah had named his book Shahab i Taqib Bar Masih which means the fire shall descend upon this false messiah and destroy him. Footnote start. Plague too is a kind of fire, and this is the fire that killed Sadullah. Footnote end. The prophecy he made about me consists of some Persian couplets, and it is as follows. Couplets of Sadullah. The translation of these verses, which he addresses to me in his book, is the following. It has been ordained by God that he would seize you and cut your jugular vein, and then, after your death, this, your false movement, will be destroyed. And although you people say that trials do indeed come on the day of judgment, and even in this world you will die a death of loss and frustration. And then after writing the Quranic verse, if he had falsely attributed even a trivial statement to us, Surah Al-Haqqah, chapter 69, verse 45, he says, You will suffer humiliation everywhere, and there is no honor for you here or in the hereafter. It is evident from these words what he desired from me, and he carried all these manifold regrets and frustrations in his heart with him to the grave. This is a point worthy of great attention for the just-minded people, that these parallel prophecies were by way of a mubahila. 
In other words, he had given the news that I would die and he thought it would be a death of extreme frustration and that it would take place in his own lifetime. And he used to pray for my death with great fervor and he was sure that this is what would happen. On the other hand, four years after the, his prophecy about my death, God informed me that he would indeed die an ignominious death in my own lifetime and that his death would be caused by a certain kind of plague. And I, for my part, used to pray for his death in order that my prophecy may be fulfilled. In the end, God proved me right, and in conformity with my prophecy, he died in the first week of January, during my own lifetime. And who is there who can gog the manifold frustration and humiliation with which he died? Is this humiliation and disgrace not enough that he died, leaving behind him the very person whose death he had sought and publicly prophesied, and witnessing hundreds of thousands of people following this person? As for the Jamaat, whose destruction and extinction he had prophesied, he died having seen its extraordinary and miraculous progress with his own eyes. But that was not all. He used to pray very fervently that he would live to see a great number of his progeny in contravention to the revelation, it is not you but your slanderer who shall be issueless. But in fact his offspring continued to die at birth, this was indeed a heart-rending pain which he experienced again and again. In fact, no son was born to him after the revelation. It is not you, but your slanderer, who shall be issueless. The lone survivor was the son who had been born prior to the prophecy. He has attained old age, but there is no mention at all of his martial intentions, let alone the possibility of any children. The supplicatory couplets written by him, Sadullah, entitled Qadiul Hajat, the provider of all needs, adequately portray his sense of deprivation. They are the following. Couplets of Sadullah. O my self-sufficient Lord, you bestowed upon me the darlings of my heart, but some of them you snatched back. God, my Lord, grant me a better substitute and help me by your grace to eradicate worries and distress. O my gracious Lord, each one of my wives and children is the delight of my eyes. My heart is full of acute pain and grief on account of the death of my dear ones. But just by glancing over these painful poetic verses, anyone can gog how many regrets must have filled his heart over the death of his children and of being left issueless himself and the regrets from which he could not save himself. And as is clear from his book, for as many as 16 years he continued to pray for him to be bestowed many offspring and for me to die and be destroyed, in the end, in the first week of January, 1907, he died within a span of a few hours, afflicted by pneumonic plague, deprived of the acceptance of all his prayers. He did not want his death to take place during my lifetime. Rather, he wished that I should die during his own lifetime. To this end, he had also announced a prophecy. He did not want me blessed with children or my jamaat to enjoy progress. Rather, he longed for an abundance of his own progeny, and he did not want anyone to help my movement. But he died a most disgraceful death, deprived of the fulfillment of all his wishes. Footnote start. We should now see how, with his discomfiture, dismay, and disgraceful death, the meaning of this prophecy became clear that God would condemn him to an ignominious and disgraceful death, as it was prophesied about him in the book Anjami Atham, 12 years before this event, meaning that you have caused a great pain to me because of your inherent wickedness. Thus, I shall not be held truthful unless you die a disgraceful death. So a greater disgrace could be, 
So what greater disgrace could there be for the one who wanted to see me die than dying himself in my lifetime? He craved for my downfall, but died only after witnessing my prosperity and progress. Footnote N. And I had informed him again and again about the will of God Almighty in using the term Abdar in the revelation. It is not you, but your slanderer who shall be issueless. The intent of Allah the Exalted was that in future no children would be born to him and that his son too would die, Abdar, or issueless. Thus he witnessed it for himself, that although he survived for as many as twelve years after the prophecy, and throughout this period he continued to pray also, yet he was not bestowed any progeny with the only exception of his son, who was already some fifteen years old at the time of the prophecy. Furthermore, he took the unfulfilled wish of his to the grave that he could not even arrange his son's marriage. Thus was it his lot to suffer from the aggregate of all this humiliation and full accord with the prophecy. It was also in regard to Sadullah that after receiving the revelation from God Almighty, I wrote the following announcement, promising a reward of 3,000 rupees, which was published on October 5th, 1894, on page 12 of my book, Anwarul Islam. It is as follows. Go on crawling with the truth. Ultimately, O corpse, you will behold what will be your end. O enemy of Allah, you are not fighting with me, you are fighting with God. I swear by God that just now on September 29th, 1894, I have received this revelation about you. The translation of this revealed phrase is that Sadullah who designates you Abdar and claims that your line of descent and other blessings will be cut off. This will certainly not come to pass. Indeed, he himself shall remain Abdar, issueless. It must be borne in mind that in the Arabic language, the expression in is never used except in the case of a confrontation. Use of this expression is permitted only when someone else has already pronounced one as Abdar, and then in rebuttal such a one may be pronounced as Abdar. So this expression bears witness to the fact that Sadullah used to call me Abdar, Ishulas, and desired that I should die in his presence, bereft of all bounties and blessings, issueless and without any lineal descendant. Thus, God made him suffer that which he petitioned God for me. I was not the first to wish that he should die, Abdar, and unsuccessful, nor did I desire that he should die in my lifetime, but when he became the first to spew such things and blatantly published his prophecy about my death in his book Shahabi Taqib, and caused me immense pain and exceeded all limits in agonizing me. Then after four years, when I prayed to God about him, he informed me of his death. And God said, Sadullah who prophesied that you will remain Abdar, will himself suffer this faith. But I shall cause your progeny to prosper until the day of resurrection, and you will never be deprived of blessings. I shall bless you so much that kings will seek blessings from your garments. And I shall turn an entire world's attention towards you, but Sadullah, bereft of all bounty and blessing, shall die an ignominious death in your own lifetime. The events were manifested exactly in the same manner. These are prophecies of God that cannot be averted. Had these been mere verbal declarations, which of my opponents would have acknowledged this prophecy of mine to be true today? However, since all these statements had been published twelve years ago as part of my books and announcements, no opponent has been left any path to escape them, with the sole exception of someone like Abu Jahar, who abandons dignity and decency and declares the bright sunny day to be night, and the shining sun to be devoid of light. 
Similarly, if Sadullah had not published his prophecy about my death and disgrace and the destruction of my jamaat in his book Shahab al-Taqib, who would have believed me now? But God be thanked that on each side the two prophecies were published in the shape of a mubahila, and in the end it was as clear as a bright sunny day as to which side was favored by God Almighty's verdict. It should also be borne in mind that some harsh words about Sadullah will be found in my books. You might wonder why such harshness about him was resorted to. However, just one look at his filthy prose and poetry would immediately dispel all such misgivings. This unfortunate man had transgressed so much in the use of abusive and filthy language that I cannot imagine that Abu Jahl could have ever hurled this much abuse upon the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Indeed, I say with full certainty that of all the prophets of God who came to this world, none can be proved to have ever faced as evil-tongued an opponent as Saadullah. He left no stone unturned in his opposition and hostility towards me, and even the lowest of society did not know the crude etiquettes of abuse known to him. It was as though he was fueled by his abuse. He clamored such harsh and filthy words with such cheek and disdain as is impossible except for the one who is evil at birth. The harshest of harsh words and the filthiest of filthy abuse issued forth from his mouth with such audacity and shamelessness that no man could possess such a filthy nature unless he was already born with it, endowed from his mother's very womb. Such men are even worse than a brood of vipers. I exercised great restraint in the face of his foul language. I tried my best to restrain myself, but when he transgressed all extremes and the dam holding back his innate filth burst, then I, out of scrupulously good intent, used such words about him as were appropriate for the occasion. Although such words, as in the writing above, appear to be somewhat harsh, they cannot be categorized as any form of abuse. Rather, they are factually appropriate for the occasion and were written exactly as and when they were needed. Every prophet was lowly, meek, and humble, but there were occasions when they all had to use such words for their opponents. Thus, look how mild the teachings contained in the Gospels are claimed to be, and yet the same Gospels contain such expressions about the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Jewish scholars that portray them as being wicked, deceitful, mischief-mongers, a brood of vipers, wolves, unholy in nature, inherently vicious, and the prostitutes would enter paradise before they would enter therein. The Holy Quran also contains words like zanim, i.e. of doubtful birth. Hence it is clear that an expression which is in keeping with facts cannot be categorized as abusive, and no prophet was the first to use harsh words. On the contrary, they used such words only when the blasphemous language of the evil-natured unbelievers had crossed all limits. It was only then that they used such words either upon divine direction or under divine revelation. This has also been my practice concerning all opponents. No one can ever prove that I was the first to use any harsh words about my opponents before any of them used foul language. When Malvi Muhammad Hussain opened his mouth and so brazenly labeled me a Dajjal, deceiver, and got an edict drafted condemning me as an apostate, causing hundreds of Muslim clerics in the Punjab and India to hurl abuse upon me, denounced me as being worse than Jews and Christians, and designated me a liar, a mischiefmonger, a Dajjal, a slanderer, an impostor, a swindler, a miscreant, a transgressor, and an embezzler. 
It was then that God made my heart inclined towards defending myself against these writings with scrupulously good intent. I do not oppose anyone out of personal motives, and I desire to do good to all, but what I am to do when someone exceeds the limits of all decency. I seek justice from God. All these mollies have hurt me, indeed hurt me very deeply, and have made me the target of their ridicule and derision in everything. What can I say except, alas, for mankind, there comes not a messenger to them, but they mock at him. Surah Yasin, chapter 36, verse 31 of the Holy Quran. Bear in mind that Sadullah had been the target of a mubahila by confronting me twice. First, in the Arabic verses that I had previously recorded in Najami Atham, I had prayed by way of a mubahila that God should destroy the liar. Of the couplets pertaining to the mubahila, one is as follows, meaning that, O oh, our Lord, settle this affair between me and Sadullah. You know only too well the condition of my heart. And then another couplet about Sadullah is as follows, meaning that you have caused me great pain because of your inherent wickedness. Thus shall I not be held truthful unless you die a disgraceful death in my own lifetime. Then again on page 67 of my book on Jamia Tham, I have given the details of the second time I targeted Sadullah for Mubahila. This invitation addressed a number of other Malvis as well, whose names have been listed on pages 69 to 72 of my book on Jamia Tham. The initial paragraph of the Mubahla prayer is recorded on page 67 of the book on Jamia Tham and is as follows. Witness, O earth and O heaven, God's curse be upon the very one who, after receiving this booklet, neither presents himself for a Mubahla, nor stops denouncing and insulting me as an unbeliever and does not part company with those who ridicule me. O oh, true believers, do all of you for the sake of God say Amin. Furthermore, all those who are my bitterest enemies are listed and invited to a mubahla in the book on Jamia Tham. In the first line on page 70, the name of this unfortunate Sadullah appears as Sadullah, a new convert to Islam and teacher in Ludana. As of today, 12 years, 3 months, and a number of days have passed since the announcement of this mubahila. Following this mubahila, most of them fell silent. Of those who did not desist from maligning me, there would be only a few who escaped tasting death or suffering humiliation. For example, Nazir Hussain of Delhi, who was a leading figure in my opposition and was at the forefront of those invited to join in a mubahila, after witnessing the death of his very competent son, himself died leaving behind no progeny. Rashid Ahmed of Gango, whose name is recorded on page 69 of the invitation to the Mubahila, became blind after my praying for his ruin and then died from a snake bite. Malvi Abdulaziz of Ludhiana and Malvi Muhammad of Ludhiana, who are similarly named on this very page 69, also departed from this world soon after this invitation to the Mubahila. And similarly, Malvi Ghuram Rusul, alias Rusul Baba, whose name occurs on page 70 of the invitation to the Mubahila, died at Amritsar of the plague after the invitation to the Mubahila, and after my praying for his ruin mentioned above. Similarly, Malvi Ghulam Dastakir of Qusul, mentioned on page 70 of this same book, Anjami Atham, and who had published a Mubahila of his own in his book, Faid al-Rahmani, died one month after the publication of that book. Footnote, start printing error, correct name is Fateh Rahmani, footnote N.
He did not die simply because I had invoked God's curse and sought God's chastisement upon him and other opponents who neither desist from mischief-making nor engage in the mubahalas documented in my book and Jamia Tham on page 67, line number 17, but also his own mubahala was in fact also the cause of his death, for after mentioning my name and his own name, he has sought from God to complete eradication of the one who was unjust in the sight of Allah. As a result, his eradication became effective only a few days later. On the same page, number 70 is entered the name of Maulvi Azghar Ali. He too did not desist from using abusive language against me until he lost an eye on account of the wrath of God. In like manner, the name of Maulvi Abdul Majid of Delhi is included in the list concerning the Mubahila, and he died of cholera in Delhi during February 1907. Footnote start. When I first visited Delhi, Abdul Majid himself came to my residence and said, These revelations are satanic. He compared me to Musalma al-Qazab, the great liar, and added, If you do not repent, you will face the consequences of falsehood and pretense. I replied, If I am an imposter, I shall of course suffer the consequences of imposture. Otherwise, whoever denounces me to be an imposter shall not escape the reckoning. In the end, Abdul Majid died in my lifetime after this verbal mubahla. He had also published at the time a harsh public announcement against me, which was probably sold at the rate of pennies. Footnote end. Similarly, many others who styled themselves as ulama and custodians of shrines did not desist from their invectives and abuse even after the invitation to the mubahla. As a result, God made some of them taste the cup of death while others fell victim to all kinds of humiliation, yet others succumbed to the filthy past of deceit, fraud, and mundane pursuits to the extent that they were deprived of faith. Not a single one escaped the impact of this curse, and because Sadullah had surpassed all others in abusive language, not only did he die full of frustration, but he also partook of every kind of humiliation, and despite lifelong employment, he still hungered for more. In the end, when he was at death's door, he took up employment in a Christian school, and in addition to suffering much humiliation, he was forced to suffer this last ignominy and accept employment with the Christian missionaries, a group who are the enemies of Islam and in whose schools a condition of employment is that one must lecture against Islam and where it is the practice to pronounce on a daily or a weekly basis such teachings about the divinity of Hazrat Isa. Jesus Christ as are a source of misguidance.